What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode, number 152 today, of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? Drew and I are lined up today, everyone, to begin an episode that's been coming since February of last year. Uh, This one comes out, I think, in January of 2022. So after 11 months, after 17 books, 18 episodes, Drew and I have finally reached the current end of the Dresden Files by Jim Butcher with Battleground. We were originally going to record this episode about a week ago, but after realizing that we were finally at the end of our coverage here, I wanted to make this one at least a little bit special. Um, So I asked to postpone while we gathered some community ideas for the final Dresden episode. Today should be an exciting one. Uh, We have a whole book to talk about and several listener questions to get to afterwards. Not to mention, you know, some of my predictions I want to get through. Not sure you can say we have a whole book to talk about. (laughs) Oh, Drew's already salty to begin with. All right, dude. Well, (laughs) kindly summarize this almost book for us, would you please? All right. Battleground opens with Harry, Lara, and Murphy returning to Chicago from Demon Reach, where Harry has imprisoned Thomas. Before they can get to shore, however, they're attacked by a kraken and saved by Molly and a bunch of bull sharks. They then head to McAnally's, where Harry leaves Murphy and the Alphas to take care of the Paranet and other members of Chicago's magical community. Leaving the pub, Harry is confronted by Rudolph and Bradley, but manages to get away after soul-gazing Bradley. He then heads on to Marconi's castle, where the forces of the Unseelie Accords are gathering to defend the city. At the castle, they discover the Fulmore are sending flying assassins to kill key figures among the Accords. Harry summons Toot Toot and a legion of little folk to defeat the assassins. Afterward, Harry joins the big hitters for a discussion of planning and what their strategy should be to defeat Ethnia. They don't have long, however, as the battle begins in earnest. Harry and River Shoulders fight to protect Chicago's residents and move into the city to enact the Allies' plan. They're distracted by necromancy in the Graceland Cemetery, however, and run into the Black Court vampires, led by none other than Dracul himself. Two wardens are captured and another is killed, but Harry and Ramirez survive. They move on to the battle proper, where Harry, Ebenezer, Christos, and the Einherjaren fight off the Jotnar giants. Ethnew takes the field and begins using the Eye of Balor. Murphy, Butters, and the Alphas show up to help, as Murphy has refused to follow Harry's orders. Harry hurries to find Mab, realizing that she's planning on using herself as a target to draw in Ethnew. On the way, his magic creates a banner under which many residents of Chicago gather in defense of the city. They meet up with Sonya and defend Mab's position before hearing about a childcare building under attack. Harry, Murphy, and the Alphas head that way and find Bradley and Rudolph inside. As they're escaping with the children, another giant shows up, and Harry turns to fight. Murphy saves him, killing it with a rocket launcher. But Rudolph regains consciousness and kills her. Harry freaks out, chasing Rudolph and preparing to kill him, but Butters and Sonya show up to stop him. Harry beats Sonya in a tussle, and Butters burns Harry with his lightsaber of the cross. He realizes what he's doing and lets Butter take Rudolph away, choosing instead to return to the greater battle. The showdown begins as Ethnew confronts Mab, using the Eye of Balor on her. Mab survives, barely, and summons the Wild Hunt, led by Odin himself. A massive battle breaks out, ultimately resulting in Ethnew losing the Eye. Marconi flees toward Lake Michigan, the Eye in hand, and Harry and Ethnew follow. On the shore, Harry binds Ethnew to Demon Reach. Marconi reveals that he is now the host of Thorned Namshiel, but he allows Harry to keep possession of the Eye. 
In the aftermath, Harry heads out to Demon Reach with Justine, but realizes that she's infected with Nemesis, or He Who Walks Beside, and was the one behind Thomas's betrayal all along. Harry escapes and returns to land, where he's banished from the White Council, and forced into an arranged marriage with Lara, thanks to the final favor Mab owes her. Okay, so... Drew, my good friend. Let's jump into our style. I was sure. pretty meh about this book. Uh, I was meh. Th- this is an interesting, really interesting one. I think, on on some levels... Uh, this is Jim Butcher at the height of his powers. Uh, he he gets to write some really cool, really awesome spectacle fight scenes, full-on battle scenes, uh, you know, as you would expect from the title. He gets to really paint a, a crazy, fun picture. Uh, gets to kind of flex his writing muscles in, in that sense. Uh, but, of course, this is not a full book. This is only half a book. And, and it, it suffers because of that. But on top of that, while he, he's like kind of at his best doing some things, this book's also a mess uh, in, in other yes. ways. Yes. Like, there are so many, once again, so much filler, uh, just like in Peace Talks, where it's like, clearly this isn't a full book. So to pad the word length, you know, to pad that word count. He repeats himself constantly. I mean, like, even within the same scene, uh, he, he has the same description of a character, like, twice in two pages. Um, you know, things like that. And then and then on top of that, they're, they're just, again, like, just sloppy writing issues that, that yeah. should have been caught in, in editing. Run-on sentences, um, weird tense changes... Uh, like like going from past tense to like uh, past perfect, uh, where where it shouldn't happen. Um, we we get like tons of run on sentences. I mean, it, it's just con- contradictions. I mean, I've got a bunch of things highlighted. Uh, oh. you know, like I'd like to hear some of them. Yeah. So early on, there's there's one line um, with I've got a few myself. Yeah. With Freitas, this is this is like chapter one, maybe chapter two. Um, uh, after they defeat the Kraken and they're getting back, you know, getting away from it, and the line is Freitas pushed off the thing contemptuously with her legs and had caught me in an embarrassingly short amount of time. That sentence doesn't really work. If, if he's saying what I think he's trying to say, it shouldn't be had caught me. It should be caught me. Like, I can see the that. sentence doesn't make yeah. sense saying mm-hmm. she pushed off the thing and had caught me. You know, things like that. Or um, during the big, the big meeting of the, the principal characters, we have a description of the Errol King. The Earl King was dressed in hunting leathers from somewhere before the Renaissance under a suit of dark mail. And then uh, and then earlier in that chapter, he's described as, uh, let's see, so two, two pages before that, I think it is. The Earl King wore his helmet and its shadows hit his face, but he was taller than human and lean in his hunting leathers and mail. So 
That that line, and then two pages later, the Earl King was dressed in hunting leathers under a suit of dark mail. Yeah, yeah. And then further down the paragraph, he was more like regular human size. You just described him being taller than humans. Like, so he repeats the description and he contradicts himself in one scene. And then, yeah, uh, yeah, just some of these sentences, like... Wild Bill whispered something to the leather action rifle he carried instead of a staff these days and plucked a rune-inscribed brass shell from his belt and slid it carefully into the rifle's loading port before closing the action with a cautious, precise movement. (sighs) Yeah, I've got one myself, right here. Um, uh, This was in Chapter 9. The creature's body went ragdoll, flying back from the impact in an explosive crackling of broken bone, only to hit against a large old oak standing stolidly in the house's front yard despite severe trimming to allow for power lines. Like, uh, yeah. Like, okay, there's something to be said about maybe differentiating the style of the word ragdoll, like maybe in italics or something. I don't know. Maybe not necessary in this particular, but when you put it with awkward phrasing like hit against, surely you could just said only to hit a large oak or to collide with a large oak. To hit against something sounds a little more awkward. You know, um, and it, you know, to make it slightly worse, this isn't even the end of the sentence. In that same thought, which is becoming a run-on thought by this point, he goes on to describe the state of the tree and its part of its past and why it was trimmed to allow for power. Like, without even ending the sentence, where your main character is fighting a main threat, you're going yeah. into that. Kind no, nobody of cares that the tree was trimmed. Right. Like, it's <laughs> a little deep in exposition to go into at, at this specific moment. It just felt a little. Yeah. It felt a little amateur, which is so weird. It felt like. For the space of one sentence, an eighth grader took over this book for like 12 seconds. And then we're back into this super epic Chicago apocalypse that was a lot of this book. So there were just, yeah, there were some more awkward fr- Another one here. Chapter, it was the same chapter. That's why I just found it here. Twin fireballs bellowed from the coach gun and splattered the top half of the lead huntsman in a cloud of white hot pellets of burning magnesium. Three ofs in one sentence. Yeah. It just seems a little awkward at times, you know? Or I, I have another one during the battle. <laughs> We're being so um, nitpicky right now. I love it. I can hear people well, getting angry. But, but yeah, like, this <laughs> is... No, this isn't even nitpicky. You know it's what, you're all right. over the damn book. You're right, you're right. This is sloppy editing. Um, you know, during the battle, uh, when when uh, Mab gets hit with the eye, and Harry's right there in this paragraph. Again, I was operating out of my weight class. The mere backwash from the eye was almost more than I could handle. And then, in the same paragraph, Tonight, the power in the air made it simple, and a dozen layers of my best shielding took the brunt of the wild expenditure of energy without faltering. Mm. You start the paragraph talking about how you could barely handle it, and then you end the paragraph saying, Oh, it was simple. It, it, it took all it took all the brunt of that energy without even faltering. I saw there's a there's a description like, that I stop and go, huh? It's like there was a there was a sound apparently that was at one point so thick you could chew. <laughs> I was like, is that what uh, is that really the descriptor you want? Okay, alright. But these are these are I'm yeah, I kind of Yeah, so like it, it's just weird it. because there are moments where it feels like Jim Butcher is the like polished Oh my god you know, uh, in a groove author with 17 books under his belt, me, you know, that 20 only, books counting his other things, you know, like, like and then other times it, it yeah. reads like it's the same, like, college student who wrote Stormfront. There's this you moment know? where he's going through with Murphy, and they're seeing all of these things. I think it's chapter 17 or 18, and the, the last, like, they, they have ellipses starting each individual paragraph as he, as he see, sees and just lists all these things in the silent days, and the last thing he sees is that crib turned over on its side. 
with you just just red staining the interior of it out in the street and he was like i wish for years after that i wish i could forget that one image moments like that i was like this is incredible why can't the whole book be this this is fucking amazing and then we just it got awkward at times so i don't know you're right it, just, it doesn't feel like a polished book does it no it's it's not it's not a polished no. book like it, it's like these last two books have just been a a, a mess uh, on like every level <laughs> narrative prose production editing yeah. like you name it it's a mess <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean you can still even also tell when 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 uh butchered learns a new word <laughs> you know I I, yeah. I I started noticing this word in the last book i didn't really start to pay attention to, to write it down though when it happened but i noticed it more in this book basso everyone yes. and everything big has a basso voice at some point or another i counted it four times in this book yeah pretty sure it was a half dozen in the last one at least but <sighs> I, I i i realized okay so i kind of want to pull back a little bit and talk about my expectations as i was going through this book because i had a I had a major source of disconnect that actually prevented me from liking this book as much as I feel like it, sh it deserves to be liked or it should have been if it was done properly. Um, it was pretty early on, like somewhere like chapter seven and nine, I made the decision, okay, so much is happening in this book that feels taboo for this series from character tensions finally coming to a head when they've been hidden this whole time or the, the mortal world being awakened to ex so explosively to the supernatural, this outright surreality of the Chicago apocalypse, it started feeling less than real to me. It felt more like a dream. And then I realized that if we already had a Harry is dead and haunting events from beyond the grave story, like we had in book 13, what's to say we're not having a Harry could be witnessing events that he's going to have to ch have a chance to redo in the future kind of story. So it was like 20% of the way into the book, I was pulling out my phone to type, okay, I think this may be all getting redone. I don't believe for a second that Butcher wants his mortal world in this universe permanently aware of the supernatural. Too many things are happening that feel fanservice-y. Like, this is kind of warped and distorted. I'm just going to enjoy the ride from now on. For the experience, it's felt like a, like a chemistry test, like a what-if scenario. Like when an NPC just mouths off to you in, in a game and you're just like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to save game and I'm going to go on a, on a rampage here, you know? That's kind of what this felt like. Just a what-if scenario, putting everything together in a head and, and just watching it happen. So I'm assuming that it's just going to be retconned down the road. I thought it was going to happen in this book. That's why a lot of things didn't really impact me in the way I felt like they were meant to. Like Karen Murphy's death. I was like, meh. I just had like a little bit of exhalation out of one nostril. That's it. I was like, and maybe an eye roll too. Because I just, none of this felt permanent. None of it felt heavy. Hmm. What about you? Okay. Do you have any kind of surreality, some sort of trouble detaching? No. Um, or inserting, I should say. The uh, I, I mean, I've, I've had trouble getting invested in the gotcha. series all along. But, so uh, but no, the uh, I never read it in terms of like, oh, Butcher's planning on undoing, unhappening this book. Uh, to use the the axe of Cain term, uh, <laughs> I I never felt like that was on the table because that's narratively unsatisfying. Hey, hey. Uh, that's my point. Know, like, well, I'm disappointed in it. Yeah, and then but he I didn't do somebody, that. He so, didn't uh, do that. Yeah, I remembered somebody in Discord telling me 
that it, Butcher had just seen Avengers Endgame before writing this book, and boy, is it obvious, which, you know, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen the two-year-old movie at this point, includes a temporal redo, you know? Like, temporal, not temporal. But, uh, so, like, chapter 17, I had decided by chapter 17, that was my note here, like, none of this is real, none of this is permanent, the stakes have gone away, I was taking literally nothing seriously. I mean, we even had, like, side quests constantly going on. We have this fight with River Shoulders and the Huntsman, I think you referred to earlier. We have this yep. boss fight against Dracul. And Grimalkin telling Harry, no, the enemy comes from the north, Sir Knight. I'm also advised to inform you that there is a still-occupied childcare center in the path with a number of young mortals inside. It's like, oh, that's just like, I can just see that popping up on Harry's minimap right there. You know, it's just, yeah. it didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. The yeah. humor, though. I still like the humor. The humor, for most part, the most part, I still really much landed on. You know, Harry with, you know, when Murphy picks Harry up on the motorcycle, I picked up Booster Gold. I was Captain America's. I got that reference. I like that one. Okay. okay. But, yeah. Meh. Anything else style-oriented? I got, I think, through all of my style points. Yeah. Yeah, I'm done. Okay. Um, actually, I do have one more. It's more complaining. I'll maybe I'll say that for my miscellaneous. Um, okay, characters. Harry? <laughs> anything about Harry? Meh? Did you say? Um... I think Butcher did a good job of showing Harry's anguish in the scene after Murphy's death. I thought that was, like, solid writing. Um, I, I'm on the record as saying I don't really care about Harry Dresden as a character. Uh, Butcher got me to care in that chapter. So that's, like, you know, one of a few moments, only a few across the whole series, where I was like, I feel something about this character. Sorry, what, that was, know, which chapter? Uh, 20... 22 maybe like when harry's when when murphy dies yeah, yeah, and then harry too. like loses it and goes after rudolph and he's got that little tussle with sonya and yeah. and butters yeah. yeah 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 i mean i was i just i was just talking about how i felt like this whole book felt not really real to me you know if we could just test a lot of things against it that's what harry felt like to me it was, it was really cool you know it was exactly what i wanted in in, in many ways you know it's precisely what i want what i started thinking about when when kincaid said i think it was back in blood Rite, saying oh it's really something to see you know when a wizard just lets loose you know harry's done nothing but improve <laughs> more and more since then and so we get these classic epic fantasy scenes like within my thoughts i merge the power from the heart of winter and soul fire it's like that is that goodness right there chapter 15 this was harry in the ice wall that he casts to defend against the um the, this Jotnars and Jot, Jotuns. Mm -hmm. They're both in the... I can't, I'm always constantly yeah. mixing them up. But, you know, the only thing that could have made that scene even better for me would have been to, like, witness this from somebody else's point of view instead. But we're obviously not. It's not going to happen in one of these books. But it was it was really cool. I loved it. Harry's sure. humor was still on point. Hey, Regina George! <laughs> I thought, I was like... I had to stop that and listen again. I was like, did you just make a motherfucking Mean Girls reference? Was that serious? It totally was. 100%. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. Um, what about pushing Murphy I, in the car? I still have issues with that, where Harry's apparently uh, watching modern movies, even I'm, though, like... Well, this... this yeah. This is a, a like, like I can understand, point. like, you know, like Harry, Harry old, watched actually. Star Wars as a little kid with his dad before he got his magical powers, but he's watching movies from, like, the 2000s. Like, no, man. Well, hey, he's, he's making uh, prequel jokes all the time, isn't he? Yeah, that, yeah, and I have a problem with that. Okay, <laughs> that's true. He made a Tinder joke in this book that pissed me off. 
And I'm the I'm I'm the hero that the city not the one that it needs. Wait, the one that it needs, but not the one that it swiped on Tinder. That's what he said. I was like, Oh yeah. Harry Dresden knows about Tinder. Are you serious? Fuck off. If he starts quoting memes, I'm out. That's it. That will be my <laughs> point, which I dip in this yeah. book. What about um, any, what about pushing Murphy in the cart? You're actually really good. We'll get you a little bit of candy at checkout, something like that. Yeah, I was I guffawed yeah. at that one. Yeah. Meh. Um the the one the one point in the book I I did laugh out loud. Uh wasn't supposed to be funny, oh, but it no. was situationally hilarious because even like it, it, it was like an off-handed like oh wouldn't it be funny if this happened? Like not a serious prediction at all and then it came true that Harry and Lara are getting married. <laughs> Dude, last episode I made a big deal about how I thought that was going to happen yeah. at the end there and so, I was like Drew you mother No, but so we talked about this on the Peace Talks episode. And I I think this may be another inconsistency where Mab tells Harry that she owed Lara three favors, yes. and that one of them was already fulfilled. And nope, then taken a scene two, I think she says she'd already made the promise that she will make a union. Right, right. But so there were mm, not fulfilled. I don't think fulfilled was so, the word she used. Well, but yeah, not fulfilled. Like, uh, so you think the 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 promise that Mab refers to at the beginning of peace talks is the one that she sets up. Harry and Lara at the end of this book. You think that's the same favor? That was the impression I got, but I haven't done a reread of mm. Peace Talks yet. That was not the impression I got. Okay. The impression I got was that the favor, the first one, was giving Harry to Lara as, like, uh, an agent. I thought that was and then two. there were... No, no, no. Because, because Harry fulfills two more favors for Lara in Peace Talks. And that's why we were, we were talking about it. We're two? like, well... We, yeah. Oh, and well, that on that episode, time. we talked about how, well, all three of the favors have been fulfilled now. So, like, we, Mab can't make Harry, you know, marry her. But then suddenly there's a, uh, one of them was still up in the air, I guess. Like, I, yeah. I don't know if I completely missed something, but, like, I, I feel like this was a, like, again, Jim Butcher forgot what he wrote. Sure like, when he had Harry visiting Marconi's castle for the first time. Uh, in peace talks, even though Harry already visited Marconi's castle at the end of Skin Game, you know? I feel like this is something that we're missing. I feel like somebody listening to who, who knows the answer is probably tearing their hair out right now. Maybe. I feel like but, we're going to hear an answer on yeah. this one. Yeah, um, uh, I, I was under the distinct impression at the end of peace talks that all three favors had been fulfilled. I hadn't been. Unless I don't, know, I don't remember B. No, we talked about it on the episode. Yeah, but I don't think we I, were on I, the I same page. With one thinking that one was. I thought one was like set up and like begun, and we had they had, they had set those terms, yeah, but they hadn't. Like... We specifically had this conversation about Mab making Harry marry Lara. Yeah, yeah. For one of the favors, and came to the conclusion: well, she can't do that because all three of the favors have already been oh. taken. Oh, oh, that that was the um, stipulation of that of the end of that conversation. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that the that conclusion up. we came huh. to. Yeah. Okay. Well, my my memory for even recent episodes is abysmal. So I'll have to defer to your memory on that one. Yeah. It's better than mine. So I don't know um, if if we missed something, let us know. But yeah. uh, but that was that was one of those things that a the seed made me laugh out loud because I was like, no way. <laughs> yeah. Like I I honestly couldn't believe that that actually happened. That I <laughs> completely not seriously 
I think it was in Blood Rites that I brought it up the first time, where it was like Harry and Lara had breakfast together at the end of the book. And I was like, I like their banter. It would be I, funny if they got forced to get married. I think like, I remember even saying on that episode, saying, really? After a com- after what? Because of their chemistry and a few conversations? I was confused about that comment. I was like, Yeah, but it, but it was really? like, you know, a, a, not a serious prediction. Yeah, yeah, you know? no, I see what I was being <laughs> offhand. I was just, uh, yeah, yeah, and so the fact that that actually came true just made me laugh. Yeah. Just just cracked me up. But, uh, um, we're still on anything else about Harry Dresden or we're going to move on to Murphy. No, that was all I had. Okay. Um, and and with Murphy, you know what? Uh, okay. I, I, I just want to complain about Harry for one second. Well, big surprise, Rob didn't complain. He did something that pissed me off. I think um, Harry needlessly uh, spent lives. I think so. Check this out. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down the logic here for you. Uh, tell me if I get anything wrong, anybody. Uh, so 17 books in. All right. We're hiding certain things that are that's supposed to be in a coy way. Seventeen books in, that but the, an experienced reader that far in is already going to be way ahead of certain things that are happening all the time. This is happening. We're doing this, pausing it to make this dramatic reveal. In chapter seven, Harry claims that he and I quote needs pizza. Now, anybody who has stuck through sixteen books previously is going to be going, "Oh, toot toot, yeah, let's get him in on this." And if you're me, specifically, you're going to be saying, "Wait." Aren't the little folk, aren't they vassals of winter and summer? Couldn't Mab or Molly just summon them right now, you know? And after another whole minute, I'm hearing, I've been dealing with this creature for so long that I probably don't need the offering. Okay, first off, why are we still hiding who this is? And second, if Harry realizes he probably doesn't need the pizzas, why are we waiting half an hour for the pizzas to cook before we summon them? You do realize, Harry, that people are actively being slaughtered in their homes for the entirety of these 30 minutes all over the city, you enormous bag. Did I so misunderstand you know what, that in you any way? You know what way? the answer is? You know what, What's the answer? Why this, why this had to happen? Because Butcher needed filler. If that's the case, because that's he split the apart I, tell me, one book God, into two so, pseudo books and had to add in a bunch of filler content to make them appear to I be full length books for publication. I hope I get a comment and saying, no, 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 Rob, what I actually, uh, that wasn't exactly what happened. You just misunderstood this for this and that reason. I'll be like, okay, because Harry. No, there, that was absolutely what happened. What if that <laughs> baby's crib that was stained red lying on its side in the road happened while Harry was waiting for pizza to cook even though he just finished saying I've known this guy for so long I probably don't need the offering anyway so I'm gonna move on into uh, Karen Murphy Um, so let's talk about it I know people are waiting on my reaction to Karen's death here uh, I want to remind everyone, though, I was really pissed off. I was so pissed off after Proven Guilty, and I've been talking about it ever since, this elevator scene in Proven Guilty, that I stopped caring about the relationship between Harry and Murphy. And I only cared about Murphy herself, really, as a character past that. That never changed, despite how much Butcher still clearly tried to make up for it after the fact and make me hope for anything else after that. But you made very good points, Drew, in recent episodes about her death just being written on the wall. It's just, I was ready <laughs> yeah. for it. And then I had about 15 different things, like I just said in this book, making me think, oh, this isn't permanent. None of this is permanent. So she, now she can die and it won't even be a big deal. Well, it's it's not permanent. She's going to turn into a, an immortal Viking warrior. There's that. That came after the fact. But this whole first yeah. half simply had me wondering how, how Murphy was going to die. That's what I was wondering. And I'll be honest. Mm. There were several suggestions that I 
Rob Santos record my reaction to the, I think it was like the end of chapter 20 through chapter 21, something like that. Um, it's been a while since I recorded it. I did record it, though. I forget the precise numbers. But I recorded myself reading that sequence right over in the side room across this hallway here. And when they confront Rudolph for that last time, he's got his finger on the trigger. I'll be honest, everybody. My reaction to that scene is very underwhelming. And all you're <laughs> going to see is a rather frustrated exhalation, five seconds of staring at the page, and then an unenthusiastic eye roll. Because I didn't give a f at that point i didn't so i do like but yeah. you said i do like where she ended up kicking ass in the viking afterlife you know um but i i, I don't think that's gonna happen i think that i still think there's gonna be a time reset it'll just happen in the future that's what i'm thinking it's gonna happen it's just so so my question for you is how do you feel about murphy dying here and not being killed by Nicodemus outside of the carpenter's house when she breaks the sword. Um, I would have been more heartbroken by that if she had been yeah. killed by Nicodemus in front of the carpenter's house just because that would have been immediate, like, moments following one of her greatest failures in, like, you know, destroying right. Fidelacius. And so I think that would have been... Just to know that she died thinking that she had failed in such a monumental way would have ripped my heart out so much that I think I still would have been pissed off. Um, yeah. So would it have been I, more appropriate? I think. But So, like, there, I, there are arguments for both, for both scenes. So the way Butcher ended up writing it, where she's killed by Rudolph, um, it, it works for two reasons. Pardon, One, his name is Rudolph? Rudolph. Is yeah, that Rudolph? The, like the reindeer? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. No, sorry. I'm just, That's I'm how you pronounce it. Okay. <laughs> anyway... Um, the, the, uh, the fact that she gets to, because she, in the moment, killed a giant, you know, she gets to become a, an immortal Viking warrior. Um, and then number two, uh, there's a full circle thematic tie back that she's killed by a corrupt cop or a stupid cop, if not corrupt, probably corrupt, but at least stupid. And she's the smart cop, the clean cop. You know, and so there's this thematic tie back to to where she came from and where she was going. However, in the scene itself, I thought her death felt fell a little flat for her because all it ended up really meaning was for Harry. It was like, yeah. what does this do to Harry Dresden? She died it, as a what? It, it, it yep. didn't. It didn't have any like real importance in the moment for Murphy herself. Like, whereas if she had, like you said, if she had just failed and and destroyed the sword of faith, and then was killed by Nicodemus, that would have been the culmination of a, you know, a character arc for Murphy. Whereas here, it feels like her character arc was just kind of chopped short. Like, um. She, she doesn't have, like, a moment of apotheosis or anything like that. Whereas, if she had died in Skin Game, it would have been this, like, kind of anti-apotheosis. And would have been a tragic death. Whereas here, it feels just pointless. You know? for In terms of Murphy. Yeah. It has a point for Harry, because it pushes him over the edge. You know, it gets him enraged. And it sets him up for the the showdown with, with Butters and Sonya. And, and, it, and it gives him this, like, shock moment. Right? But, but like, for Murphy, in that moment, it's like, Rudolph was just, like, out of his mind with adrenaline and fear and, and pulled the trigger like an idiot. 
and it was yeah. just kind of pointless. I felt, though, yeah, I was still upset because, like I said, I had thought this was, hey, this is like a what-if kind of thing. This is going to be redacted in the future. So, let's see how Murphy goes out. If she's going to die and this is going to happen, we can, you know, do both things at once. And I want to see it be epic. I want to see how epic of a death Murphy is, is, you know, worth. And, it, yeah, you're right, it was this. It was, oh, oh. And so it was all around meh disappointment. I didn't mm-hmm. utter a single word. I feel I felt like if I had, <laughs> I would have been just overdoing it. Like that would have been like performing at that point. So I was just like meh. It's a very, yeah. very it, it's a very disappointing video. I might not even release it, but yeah. I feel Fair like uh, that that was the same reaction I had with the end of Changes, where where people asked me to record myself reading the the end of that book, and I was just like. I thought it was like oh. when he broke his legs in like chapter twenty-seven or something like that. Yeah, sure, sure. So you see, it was not even memorable, right? That um, was memorable, too, yeah. But that was a disconnect you had, yeah. Yeah. So Murphy is a character in this book, though, just frustrated the crap out of me because, like, yep. once again, like she got herself killed, right? Yep. Like, if if she had just done the smart thing and listened to Harry, and you know, she she would have survived. But like, at one point, she tells Harry. I don't think we're going to be censoring this episode just because we've already dropped a few. But uh, she t- she tells Harry, you know, because he, he makes a great point about how you, you seriously will just slow me down at this point. She just goes, fuck you. And I stopped and I wrote down my phone, no, Karen, fuck you. Like, that, <laughs> she pissed me off uh, in this book, you know, for the, the first half. Yeah. And, of course, the second half, she was she became a what again, not a who. Um, and I was, yeah. I was overall very underwhelmed by Karen Murphy in this book. It sucks. Yeah. A lot of cool things happening, though. I, I've been bitching about this book, but it was still fun to read. It was still fun pretty much all the way through. Uh, next character. Let's talk about Molly. Molly. Okay. Don't have much um, about Molly. Go ahead. This is more in in relation to uh, Cold Case. You know, because I, I had just read Cold Case, like, a couple of days before, you know, before I picked up Battleground. And... Like, this was a problem I had with the short story from the get-go, where where I felt like it was robbed of tension because we're in the point of view of a an immortal, unkillable fairy queen, right? Like, Butcher wants us to feel the tension because it's Molly, but when you take a step back and realize, like, she's invincible... These, like, small-timer Cthulhu cult dudes in Alaska are not going to be able to kill her. Like... Yeah. Uh, and Small-time Cthulhu dudes, you know? Those yeah, but, but so... And then when you see her, like, cutting loose in this book, going, like, full-on, you know, winter lady, and then you go back to Cold Case and you're like, okay, this short story was pointless. <laughs> like, she could have rolled into town, obliterated the whole crew of them, and, and just been done with it. Like it would have been, a, uh, like eating a piece of cake, and and instead it was like a whole dramatic story that she needed Ramirez's help and gets in this like battle, but then at the end of the book or at the end of the short story, she literally just does that where she's like, okay, all right, I'm gonna turn the whole place to ice, trap everybody, all right, got the kids out, cool, <laughs> that was easy. It's like, <laughs> and, you know, so there's this like, this narrative problem with Molly that Butcher hasn't gotten a handle on. 
he wants us to feel like she's still the flawed, vulnerable girl. But also wants her to be this supremely powerful fairy queen. He wants to have his cake and eat it too. Yeah. <laughs> and and I don't think he's done a good job of relaying both of those things or reconciling both of those things. Reconciliation is the, is the yeah. important one there. Yeah. Yeah, I had to just... Um, Go ahead. But, but at the same time, like, when Molly rolls up onto the battlefield with, like, the whole fairy army, like, that was awesome. Nah. Like, that was some great spectacle. I'll tell you, you what, know, why that one didn't land for me, because I've seen Megamind. That's why that one didn't land. Welcome to the jungle. Really? You, you, had, you had to choose that song, Butcher? Really? Eh. Ah. I don't know. I mean, like, I the, the song, like, I just kind of glaze over that. It, it was more the, like, the mental image of... Her showing up oh. and throwing around all the power. As soon as she was, she was yeah. like making her entrance. I was like, "Yo!" But with with as soon as they mentioned the opening riff of "Welcome to the Jungle," and oh, come on, any other song, any other song would have been better than "Welcome to the Jungle." Not, not that I hate "Welcome to the Jungle." I love that song. It's just that's such a scene for scene rip of a Mega Mind of Mega Mind the movie. So come on, okay. Um, Mab's possible moment of last command to her knight if she falls. Kill Molly Carpenter. Kill Molly Carpenter. Why, Drew? Why do I feel like something like this is going to be an issue in the future, perhaps, with Map dying and Harry needing to um, struggle with a final order? Like that one, maybe. So, yeah. Whatever. Meh. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, admit something right now. Oh, I know what it's going to be. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I do not care about making predictions. I, I just, like, I'm done with the Dresden Files. I'm not going to read any more books in this series if and when they come out. So, like, I come I on. haven't spent any any mental energy. Even after a year or two years of not reading Dresden to read one more book for what is probably our most popular series? Yeah. I'll have to I, do that with someone I, else then. I... We'll do it. It just won't. Overall, I did not enjoy the experience of covering the Dresden Files on Inking Out Loud. God like damn. I learned. No, you know, I'll save this for the end. I'll save this for the end. This this doesn't belong. This is in a the character discussion. But but the short the short story is like I don't really care about making predictions at this point. Gotcha. So like I'm not going to have any emotional reaction to like thinking ahead to to further books. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Butters. Talk about Butters. Okay. Who are what may have been the best part of Battleground for me. Um, really? That, oh, yeah. I would loved this whole Harry chases down Rudolph for killing Murphy thing with Butters clearly terrified but still deciding to put himself between Harry and Rudolph. Despite, you know, just everything. Just doing what he knows is right. The sheer out-of-control nature of this scene, that raw human pain that that takes our main character to this absolute darkest of moments you know like the struggle with mm-hmm. sonya harry winning but having to resort to like animalistic behavior like savagely biting him and and butters finally shutting him down and this whole theme here butters doing more to protect the innocent but or do, sorry butters doing more than protecting the innocent uh, protecting the guilty as well protecting harry in this moment every bit as much as he's protecting rudolph and protecting justice waldo butters is now my favorite character of the series after the what i thought was wow. a borderline character assassination of john marcone which we'll get to but really um, oh man oh okay. yeah 
Um, but th this is all this, with Butters here. This moment with Butters is still made even better by a moment he and Harry have later when Mab is telling Harry about Corb, saying, He's your better in power, you're better in experience, you're better in treachery. And Harry's just like, Yeah, but I bet he doesn't have as many friends as me. And he holds out his fist without looking, and Butters just wraps his knuckles against Harry's fist, also without looking. I was, yes, that's right there. <laughs> that's my vibe. That was a very Marvel moment. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. So, yeah. all right. Um, hmm. Well, yeah, Let's sorry, talk yeah. about Marconi. Okay. Since you brought that up. You didn't like that? No, I did not. So, I mean, I just finished last episode, and, you know, obviously, since <laughs> we're on it, positively glowing about, you know, the quality of this character. I was let down by the revelations in this book. And I have to admit, it wasn't until the very end, though. For the majority of this book, Mark Home was still, you know, at the top or near the top of my favorite characters in this struggle. I love the moment that he and Harry had, um... As they were changing, preparing for the events of the battle, you know, it gets us. Ex we get this extensive description of the gentleman Baron John Marcone, and we just get like, did you forget the next step in the dressing process, Dresden, or is this some sort of awkward sexual reconnaissance? You know, there's still always golden chemistry between these two. I, I love watching them constantly butt heads. Um, I explained that Marcone was probably my favorite recently, due to the fact that he's got so much power and so much class. He's able to command a room full of fairy nobility all done just like being the only mortal in that room or at least the like the only truly mortal in that room i love that aspect of his character the manifestation of sheer competence of human mind against the fey courts but all of that was taken away with the bonding of thorned namshiel all of it that is, I, that's why I was like, this is borderline character assassination in my eyes. Why are we cheapening John Marcone like this? Every time he succeeds now, or every time he fails, I'm going to be thinking, ah, was this because of Nam Shield's influence? You know? I feel like Butcher just kind of violated one of his best characters. See, I read that very differently. I read that as Marconi is the one in charge, not Thorne Nam Shield. Well, that's what Marcone says. This is yet another instance sure. of him going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the supernatural and coming out on top. I'm sure Nicodemus has the same thing about, you know, um... Well, and that, yeah, sorry, go ahead. That, that, and Duriel, yeah. Thank um, you, thank you. That is certainly how it seems the relationship is between Nicodemus and Anduriel. That Nicodemus is the one in charge. He has that strength of will as a human that he can handle. I mean, he's also, like, a terrible person. But, like, what? Marconi, on the other hand... Like, he's a more complicated person. But again, he has that strength of will. So, like, I didn't see this as, like, thorned Namshiel now getting the credit for for Marconi standing up to yeah, Ethne or credit, anything like that. It does but, be that voice that every time, you know, I just, I like Marcone for being 100% Marcone. And that just kind of ruined it for me. It's hard oh, to explain. Okay. No, I, I saw that as just, like, another extension of his character. Like, of course he would take on one of the fallen and come out on top. Like... Oh. Like this is this is another yeah. example of like Marconi seeing an opportunity to grasp more more supernatural power, going for it and it working for him. Yeah, I predict it's going to cause problems for him in the future, but um, it's, it's possible. But yeah. um, Mab, talk about Mab. Sure. Red light flashed again, staining the air with blood, and from the south. A sudden, glaring column of blue light so intense and bright that it could readily be seen even through the haze erupted, cold and defiant in the sultry night. Just, Mab, just, Mab was a rock star in this book. What do you think? Yeah, Mab was great. 
I I almost brought in a different beer, um, but I I noticed this one in the fridge that I've had for a long time. The Queen of Erin Darkness almost changed Drew's beer. So oh uh, whoa, yeah I I had I had two options, but this one I've been saving for a long time and just haven't had something come up that it worked really well for until today. Gotcha. So I was like, I gotta <clears throat> do this. And the yeah. other one can work for many other books. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, Mab was Mab was great. Um, she might have been the best part of this book for me, to be honest. Like, yeah, the revelations we got about Mab in this one. Watching her rise to the defense of Chicago, were you surprised at all? That she was willing um, to actually step no, up to the proverbial plate? No, I, I, I wasn't surprised by that. Hmm, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I thought, like, okay, she strategically needs to, but it still warmed me a little, which is odd, you know, Queen of Air and Darkness warms my heart, but, like, all these revelations we got too about her her past and her mortal life, you know the the, the burdens that we learned that she has at the end. I think it was the end of chapter eighteen, you know. Um, oh, it is because I I'm sorry. My next sentence is the quote here. Did she feel it too? Her command of her subjects of me. If more is required of me, so be it. I offered my hand to Mab, plain soldier. She took it. That was the end of chapter eighteen. You know, I just. Oh, it was so cool. And I kept wondering for the whole book, if Mab is at her weakest right now, this time of year, where in the ever-loving shit is Titania, Queen of Summer? Yeah. I was wondering that for the whole book. She shows up. Same. For like yeah. 10 seconds, you know. But remind me again, did she did she accomplish anything of note? Not really. Mab was the one who tanked the eye freaking Baylor. Ba- Baylor. So this Baylor? is, this is one of those things that... Uh, what did Titania do? I, I struggled with it's in that final battle where it was like one twist after another that seemingly just like shifts the tide of battle in favor of the good guys and then just gets wiped away. And then another twist and now we're in control. Oh, no. And another twist and now now we're wi- No. Like, it, it, it ended up feeling like in the moment, you know, Molly shows up with an army of Fae. And you're like, okay, and, he, and they're just like crushing through the the Fulmore lines, and then it doesn't make a difference. And then Titania shows up with the forces of Summer, and you're like, oh, now now we got him, you know, where where we want him, and then it doesn't make a difference. And so it kind of like undercuts the power of some of these like big spectacle moments. Yeah. Um, I mean, like there, there's a reason why none of these moments are in my favorite scenes, even though like they. They feel like Butcher wanted them to be these spectacular, memorable things. But because he needed the battle to last... Again, filler! (laughs) Uh, He needed the battle to last for like 40% of the book... yeah. He couldn't have the the like logical conclusion be reached when the Queen of Summer shows up on the summer solstice at the height of her powers with her whole army and like you know, and so mm. Yeah, I don't know. Just like Mab like yeah, exactly. Like, Mab is at literally the, the the low point of her power and she already made a big deal last book about how the outer gates are under unusually heavy attack, and it's kind of yeah. suspicious that it that it's you know coincides with this. And a lot of her forces are also split as well. She has split forces defending the outer gates of reality, and she's at the lowest point of her power, and she still tanks the Eye of Balor. And Titania, what? Titania, what? Yeah, I just okay. It's like yeah, if if the weakened forces of Winter at their lowest strength 
can go toe-to-toe with the Fomor, why doesn't the Army of Summer just roll over them? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Mab is my girl, this one. But yeah, Mab was still great in this Mab was a rock star in this one. She was... No. Oh, she was... Yeah. yeah. Let's say she was a goddess. Literally. Obviously. Um, miscellaneous. Anything other... Unless you have any other characters? No, I'm done. Let's get cruising through this episode here, because we still have quite a bit to go through. Um, chapter 3. Mac. Harry's about to use his wizard sight. Max like, nah, bruh. Don't. You're gonna hurt yourself. He even raises his hand to stop it. Everything around this scene. And Harry says, I was pretty sure I knew what Mac was now. Or at least what he had once been. But doesn't go on, of course. Come on! What is he? An archangel? He's an angel. Yeah. He's an archangel? Is he God? What is he? Oh, he used to be an angel. Okay. Oh, he used to be an angel? Like, we did yeah. we get that confirmed or something? Yeah, I thought it was made clear in this book. Oh. Like, it, yeah. Oh. He, no. Harry at one point, I I think it's like later, he's he's either talking about how, or he's either talking about it to somebody or thinking about how the Chicago magical community is safe at McAnally's with a couple of werewolves and an ex-angel. Oh, man. Right over my head. Yeah. Right over my head. Damn. I had both the audiobook and the text in my e-reader for this one uh okay all right just my bad i fumbled the ball in that one 100 percent. i'm actually glad i brought it up see if i can find the quote yeah thank you um got any any other miscellaneous i still have like 10 to get through but i'll give you a chance to throw one down um no you you can go uh i don't really have many more miscellaneous points so yeah uh, toot Toot pissed me off, uh, not for other uh, for reasons besides what I already bitched about. Yeah, that wasn't Toot Toot, that was Harry I was pissed about. But Toot Toot, toot here in his whole Pepe Le Pew routine. Dude, chapter 7. Not only was I sort of irritated back in cold days, for example, I think it was, that our literal, the first time we ever just got like a female of his species named, it happened to be the perfect one for Toot Toot. But his behavior in this book is just so... Ugh. On top of being annoyingly predictable, it's just disgusting. He's seriously Pepe Le Pew. He, they, yeah. If these two were human, three-quarters of what Toot Toot fans like about him would make him want to wait, them want to lynch Butcher for writing such a perverted, obnoxious asshole of a character. But I guess Toot Toot just gets a pass because he's 30 inches tall. I just... I've been, I've been, myself, I've been a huge fan of Butcher's humor throughout this whole series. I've been defending it. This one was like parkour for me. I just, you know, I think oh, I actually yeah. enjoyed parkour more than I enjoyed. Like, this Ugh. pissed me off pages before it even started happening when I saw, when I called it in cold days. And now it's just like, it's so obnoxious. It's so heavy handed. It's creepy. I don't like it. Yeah. Okay. So I, I did find the quote and he says, I couldn't watch over my friends. I couldn't be the one to protect them. I had to trust that what they'd learned from me and from the community I'd helped to build would see them through. Well, that and an artifact that had been literally stored on the same shelf as the goddamned Holy Grail and what was left of an ex-angel. Oh. Yeah. Because he he puts up the, you know, the placard... Gotcha. The holy placard that gotcha. you know protects the. Thank yeah. you for answering that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Oh, uh, another thing I wanted to know: why doesn't Harry? What? Why isn't Harry one of Harry's first battle plans not to approach Ivy and ask what she knows about Ethniel? 
Surely there would have had to have been writings on Ethneo at some point. She's Ivy is a literal walking supernatural Wikipedia. Why isn't Harry's first move to ask her about Ethneo? It seems like such a missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> as much as I was Ooh. just as I was just bitching about Toot Toot, he did give me one line that I'm going to need to find everyday uses for in my immediate future. My lord, there is knavery afoot. I love that line. I don't know what it is. Knavery. What it is about those six words? But those are adorable and esoteric, and I need to use them. I need to find a way to loosely fit that into my daily vernacular. There is knavery afoot. Yep. Uh, okay. Dracul revealed a starborn. And we have another star. We have another mm-hmm. starborn. We have a third one. Yes. Listen, Listen is a starborn. I like yep. that. Really puts Harry into more hype territory for me. It's just on an objective level. Appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I still going? Anything else? Sure. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm pretty much done with my points. Gotcha. So. Enfilad uh, and Defilad. I learned new words. To... I learned new words in this one. Enfilad or Enfilad and Defilad or maybe Defilad. I don't know how it's pronounced. Using natural or artificial obstacles to protect oneself from hostile fire. That's Enfilad. And forming ranks, able to continue firing along the ranks' longest axis, for Defilad. Didn't know those. Pretty cool. Um, I had a prediction last book about Harry using his bond to all the monsters on Demon Reach in their war against the Outsiders. I was not expecting something so similar to happen in the next book with the Winter Sheep. Which is kind of cool. That one kind of made me laugh. I was like, ha, nice. Okay. Um, Michael Carpenter cursing up a storm. Bruh. Yeah. That was... Mm, yeah, I, wish, I just I want to know what it was that he was saying. And <laughs> my last... Uh, about McCoy, uh, another previous prediction of mine. You know, I thought there was something off about McCoy's so-called black staff, and we learn in cold days that Mother Winter has apparently lost her walking stick, or something like that. Nudge, nudge. Well, in the book, this book, Ethnew saw McCoy's staff, and she goes, "Little boys should not play with adult tools." Ethnew knows about that sna- uh, that staff. She dismisses Harry Dresden. She dismisses the archive, but she realizes the staff is a threat. Point that out. Okay. Nice. And Bradley. I did, I did not pick up on that. I didn't remember that from cold days. Oh yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was uh, it was Mother um, Mother Summer that says Mother Winter has been all crouch or like grouchy and everything ever since she lost her walking staff. That, that vaguely anymore. that vaguely rings a bell for me. Yeah. yeah. Something like nice. that. Nice. Nice. Good pickup. And um, yeah, Bradley in chapter twenty, protecting the daycare, his daughter. Those oh great. Great stuff. So, yeah, I'm ready to go into favorite scenes and then listener questions. Yeah. So, okay, uh, before we go into favorite scenes, th- this is where I want to, like, talk about this. My overall... Um, kind of experience with this. I didn't even write anything about this. Go ahead. Um, I, hope, I hope our listeners enjoyed our coverage. I know we were... Probably a lot more negative on this series than most people who read the whole series. Like, just generally speaking, if if somebody doesn't like a book or, or isn't enjoying a series, they're going to stop reading it, right? Like, I, I imagine there are very few people who made it all the way through 17 books who liked it as little as I did. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I'll drink to but the I I hope that there was still value in our discussion for for listeners and for fans of the Dresden Files. Maybe maybe it, it makes makes you think about the series in a different way. Maybe it, it uh, makes you think about approaching storytelling in a different way. Especially if if our listeners are writers, you know, uh, whether you write fanfic or or if you're trying to get published or whatever, like. If, if you're in that, you know, the kind of early stages of a, a writing career or, or an amateur writing career, hopefully you learned something from listening to us talk about these books. Because this, this was a, a different sort of perspective than you're going to get in, you know, a, a, a YouTube video or a podcast series done by hardcore Dresden fans. Um, I know for myself, even though I didn't enjoy <laughs> reading these books a whole lot um some of them i liked but by no means all of them uh i i learned a lot about engaging with this type of story and i think i came away with some uh some things that i need to keep in mind with my own writing as well because like look i'm not going to pretend i'm a better writer than jim butcher i don't have 20 books published I'm not an internationally best-selling author. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna make that claim. But that doesn't mean that I can't read and and critique other writers. You know, like it's it's a whole hell of a lot easier to see flaws in other people's writing than it is to see in your own. But that's why we have editors. And I think overall, Jim Butcher's editor really let him down at points in this series. <laughs> I agree um, with that. Yes, yes. Uh, especially in these last two books, I think some some very poor decisions were made. Hmm. But but the result of it is, I do not get joy from reading these books. I was relieved when I finished reading Battleground because I can be like, all right, I don't have to read any more Dresden Files. I can read what I want to read now, and. Going through 17 books where, for most of those, I was borderline dreading having to pick up and read a new book. You know, like, that's exhausting. And and then on top of that, I'm not going to say this is the whole Dresden fandom, but Dresden, some Dresden fans were a lot to deal with. I got some pretty nasty emails and messages from people. Really? Because of things, you know, criticisms I leveled. Um, and, like, I've I've never gotten, you know, those sorts of messages about other series. Uh, even, even other books that I, I was pretty hard on. Uh, <laughs> like, it, it was, like, every single little criticism that I had... Whether it was a, a subjective personal opinion of like, oh, you know, I just didn't connect to this character. Or or if it was a more concrete writing criticism. Every single thing it felt like there were a couple of people just losing their minds over. And that makes this also exhausting to do. Because not only do I have to read a book and analyze it and write notes on it and then talk about it for an hour or an hour and a half... Then I get to spend a week after the episode comes out fielding angry messages. And half of these messages like like are are like people 
people trying to argue points that I didn't even make. Like, they're arguing past me. I'm like, I didn't say that. You know, and, and it's like there there was no good faith debate. It was just, I'm angry that you had anything at all negative to say about the books that I loved. And that's why I really don't want to do more Dresden Files. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'm willing to do more Dresden Files. I actually feel like an idiot. I didn't even write down. I have 5,000, over 5,000 words worth of notes and just things to bring up and, and ideas that, that occurred to me reading this this final book here. I actually didn't prepare anything to say about the series as a whole. And that is really, really dumb. Because we're at the end of 18 episodes on this now. I didn't have as negative of an experience as, as it sounds like Drew had. I I won't say I loved this series, but I loved many parts of this series. And I, I myself will be definitely recommending this series probably more often than... May, well, I'm not saying more often than any other series in the future because I do still love to <laughs> recommend some Sanderson, but this this is I would say the the greatest quality for the most ease of access that I think I've ever come across in a series. I had a lot of fun. There were many, th- and I feel I do feel pretty um, sheepish because I probably spend a solid forty to fifty percent of our airtime, our, our runtime, bitching in, during these episodes. But I don't think a single one of these books fell below a 7.5 out of 10 for me. I loved wow. all, I, uh, <laughs> loved all of them. Not, none of them all as a whole. But this series, I even, had a even ton Full of Moon, fun. even Peace Talks. <laughs> yes, yes, even Grave Peril, which we'll be getting to as well. I still loved many parts of those books, although I won't say I loved every one of those books on themselves. But yeah, I had a lot of fun reading this series. I myself am going to be very much looking forward to how it ends, um, and I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that we're actually at, at, at somewhat odds here, even though we're still able to agree on a lot of what he did do wrong. We feel like he did do wrong. I'm still glad that we're, that both you and I still represent kind of opposite ends of the uh, enjoyment spectrum for this series, because then you know there's there's there's, there's going to be something for everybody to say if they're listening. Yeah. To us. So. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. Series overall is one of my favorites of all time. Wow. Probably my top five. <laughs> wow. It is definitely not for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I will definitely be recommending Jim Butcher in the future to a lot of uh, readers. But it depends if I think they'll appreciate it. If there's somebody who's already been through The Wheel of Time, been through A Song of Ice and Fire, been through even greater works and stuff like, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I'm not going to recommend something like this. I'll recommend this to those who are like, hey, I want to read and have some fun. Hell yes. I got something for you. You know? Sure. Yep. So. Awesome. All right. Okay. So I do want to say also, oh, I still feel like oh. Butcher wrote him. He's just, he's an MMA fighter th- trying to do thumb wars in this. He should have done Epic Fantasy. He just should have gone straight up for Epic Fantasy. Should have done it. Mm. Okay. All right. Favorite Sorry, you said favorite scenes? Yeah, let's do three right, favorite scenes for the, Battleground. For Battleground. Three favorite scenes. All right. Uh, actually, to get real quick, honorable mention out of the way. The shopping cart. I have to bring that up. If you tell anyone about this Dresden, I will murder you slowly. I leaned down and kissed her hair. Now, now, if you're good, we'll get you a piece of candy at checkout. Yeah. Guffaw. Out loud. All right. Any other mentions? Or should I go into three? No. Okay. Go for it. Trading boasts with the Jotun. 
I am Harry, son of Malcolm. I have battled dark sorcerers and black knights. I have fought men and beasts in numbers too great for counting, invaded the heart of winter, confronted necromancers and the living dead, vampires and ghouls and demons in their hordes endless. I have matched wits with the six queens of fairy and prevailed and thwarted the combined will of the white council. When, when they came for my child, I smote the red court of vampires and laid them in ruin for all the world to see. I am Harry, son of Malcolm, and I have entered the vaults of Tartarus and stolen its treasures beneath the gaze of Hades himself. And I'm about to add giant slaying to my resume. And this seemed to please the Jotun immensely. His smile grew wider and wider, showing more and more teeth the size of dinner plates. I am Svagnar, son of Svangi. The Jotun roared back. I have fought the Odin son and lived to tell the tale. <laughs> I swallowed. Just like, uh... This whole exchange was, I'll say, magical. This whole exchange was just magnificent. Loved it. All right. Okay. Third favorite. Throw it at me. Uh, this cracks me up because apparently you didn't like this at all. Uh, the revelation that John Marconi is now the vessel for Thorn Namshiel. Miss me with that. <laughs> was not a fan. Yeah. Was not a fan. Yeah, they have. He has been. He has been. Taint, my favorite character has been tainted. He's no longer my favorite character. Now he's just part of that character. At least that's the impression that I have. But you're right. He could just be. Well, we'll see how it goes. I will see how it goes because apparently you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> number two. All right. Ethniu's entrance in chapter fifteen. Her arriving on the field. The first time we see her in this book, there was a little quiver in the concrete beneath my feet. A hideous pressure in the air. And then, from the direction of the lake, a column of red-white energy, pure power, hammered into the skyscraper where Marcone's fire teams were wreaking havoc on the enemy and slewed across it a path of utter ruin. The building shattered like a toy. I stood staring in pure shock as the power of the Eye of Balor tore apart a modern skyscraper as if it had been built from balsa wood. Windows shattered, steel melted, ran like water. The building groaned in agony, then simply collapsed in on itself in a roar, in a wash of fire and smoke in a vast storm of rising dust. In seconds, an edifice that had required the hands and wills of thousands of men and women had been reduced to smoke and rubble. Ethniu had taken the field. The last titan had come for Chicago. Especially those those penultimate five words. Ethnew had taken the field. It's just mm. Yeah, yeah. So like this is this Not. is one of those examples of <clears throat> where Butcher feels like a mature writer at the height of his powers, uh, in this book. You know, we, we had all of those examples of awkward, you know, awkward syntax, run on sentences repetition you know early on but then we have things like this where it's like how is this the same writer this is how? this is great writing how is you this know? the same writer exactly yeah yeah so um well my second favorite uh is mab taking one for the team taking the full brunt of the eye of balor and getting back up yeah that was cool that was so cool um Hey, yep. I love that you bring up Mab because Mab features and stars in my favorite scene in this book. Ah. Mab drew herself upright, cold light gathering around her brow in a coronet of glittering motes that trailed a veil of tiny snowflakes behind it. Every eye on the roof turned to her, 
and the queen of air in darkness lifted her face to the night sky and spoke in a voice that did not so much thunder through the air as glide into the earth itself and resonate in gentle music from every solid surface in sight. Accorded nations, Mav said calmly, stand to arms, mortal men of Chicago, remain in the homes that offer you your only safety. The enemy has come for the city. I love Mab in this book. I love it. <laughs> this is where I decided that. I, I decided that there. Nice, so. nice, cool. Well, favorite my favorite scene. scene. Yes. Excellent, said Mab from behind us. Lady Lara, upon due consideration, your third <laughs> favor is granted. You have my permission to court my knight. The wedding will commence at sundown. That had to be my favorite, right? Dude, that had to be. I am so upset at our Discord friends because they were telling me that I needed to record chapter 20, chapter 21 when I'm reading it. If you guys wanted to see another reaction where I throw my <laughs> e-reader across the room and run out of the room cursing, it would have been this scene. This is, You guys know. You guys have been... I, I went and I've seen the Dresden spoilers. I went into there after I finished Battleground. I've watched you guys talk about Drew nailing that prediction. Why was that not the one oh, you guys really? told me? Oh, I've had the I've had all the spoiler Dresden channels muted. Uh, I I need to I need to unmute those and yeah, go yeah. In and, and read what people are saying. That's hilarious. I, I went in there for <laughs> by accident. I went in there by accident for like three minutes a month ago, and then someone was like, "Rob, why are you in here?" I was like, "Oh my god, this is spoilers!" Sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> and I went back. I finished this book like two weeks ago. I went back. I started reading this. Shit. I see you guys talking about Drew nailing that. How funny it is. You should have told me to read that book or to to read that scene. Because then you would have had a f***ing hilarious YouTube video. Anyway. Oh, yes. I'm getting, uh, look at, I'm getting obnoxious again. I'm getting angry. Okay. Oh, man. Um. <laughs> okay, so before we go into the final draft... Yay. Um, Rob solicited some talking points and questions from, from uh, you know, our Discord. And I think we should go through those before yep. we, you know, wrap it all up with the, the final draft. 100%. Jeff Dugan. So... Jeff Dugan asked in Discord. I hope it's Dugan. Is it Duggan? I hope I'm not mispronouncing your name, Jeff. Name our three favorite thumbnails done by Felcandy. <laughs> Bruh. You want to do, you know, like number three, number three, two, two. How one, am I one, supposed to? I went do. into this deciding, you know, I'm, I'm probably just, how do I do this without naming the last three that she's given us? Because everyone I see is my favorite one, right? How am I supposed to choose three? I did. I think I got three, but I went for three that I thought were just like uh, a smattering of different reasons. And okay. I was hoping that maybe you didn't choose the same. So what, what was your third favorite? Third favorite, Deadbeat. Ooh, okay. For the sheer hype that listeners must have had seeing that thumbnail. Okay. Sue? Oh, my God. Third. So my my third favorite was Full Moon, actually. Full Moon was so dope. Yeah, I, I loved the, A, the kind of the bleeding circle. Oh, my God, it, how it drips. But also the wolf, like, fading from black to white at yeah. the edge of the circle. Like, that was such a good touch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second favorite of mine, Summer Night. For the oh, that's also my second favorite. Yeah, for the sheer yeah. spoopiness of that chlorophene and the eyes on that thing. Oh, it was like, I mean, I was not expecting anything bad, but when I saw that, I was like, oh, she nailed It's even creepier now. It was creepier yeah. what, seeing the thumbnail than I was reading it. Like, and once again, th this is one of my favorite things about what Danny does with our thumbnails. And this is not just the Dresden thumbnails, but across all of them. How she started with the logo of a spilled ink pot. Like, forming yes. this, like, dragon. Yes. Um, 
and and she's like retained this motif of ink dripping across like basically every single you know yeah. uh, uh, logo and I love how she did it on summer night where it's like it's ink dripping but it's also blood coming off its fingers yeah like Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. So good. You guys have to see, because oh, it's also worth mentioning, actually, at this point, the, the, what, what's the most recent episode that's come out? Ghost Story? Uh, as of this recording, or yeah. as of people listening as to As of this recording on right now, which is December 28th. Um, Ghost Story is the most recent public episode. Cold Days is up on Patreon right gotcha. now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, so Drew and I, uh, as of picking these uh, yesterday, we I think we picked these scenes yesterday, uh, these scenes, these thumbnails yesterday. We hadn't seen anything for book 14 15 16 17 or 18 yet so and today we saw some mock-ups for 14 15 16 it was yeah yeah magnificent magnificent especially especially 16 but okay um so um see here number one Uh, what's your favorite favorite death masks okay and i I chose this one not because it's my personal favorite but because i think it's worth mentioning as a favorite, because I hear, and this is something I, I, I don't haven't experienced with my laughably tiny bit of knowledge I have about visual arts, but I hear from all my friends who are into art that hands are a monumental pain in the ass to do correctly. Uh, and Danny came through with apparent effortless talent on that. I mean, they're all brilliant. All of these, we just talked about how they're all brilliant. We have, without without question, the best artist, though. In the extended family. So I'm sorry, everyone. We found her first. Oh, it's... Nina yeah. Neener in, in the whole night. Um, but every one of her thumbnails is brilliant. And this one with the hands, I mean, I, I like she does these... It just, like I said, it appears effortlessly. So... Yeah. Yeah, I just... Mm. I went into this convinced. I was like, oh, I'm going to pick her latest ones, you know? But, <laughs> uh, no. I decided to, to, to open my podcast app and just look at them. And that's okay. So, another shout-out to Fel Candy. Her, her patience and her dedication even when I give her totally idiotic suggestions that are almost <laughs> insultingly below her level of talent like the juice box for turncoat or the donut with sprinkles like I still laugh every time I see both of those I'm just, I love the fact that she's willing to put up with our uh, <laughs> shenanigans so thank you so much Danny we all appreciate yeah. it yeah. so much so I I had Death Masks as an option, but it was a late cut. The other late cut for me was Blood Rites. I, I think there's just something really clean oh, about how she cute. did the two pentacles. I, yeah. yeah. It's like it, it just, ASMR. It's really I get like, satisfying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get like, like an autosymphonic meridian response looking at those two. It's like, ooh. Yeah. Um, but my favorite is Deadbeat. Just the, the detail on Sue... Uh, the the movement like you you can just like you look at that and you you like hear the zombie roar you know yeah like, <laughs> yes. It's, yes yeah it's so good so it's so good Jeff had one more question we know the next two titles twelve months and mirror mirror plot speculation go he says so you said you don't really care to to predict do I have to <laughs> yeah you don't have to <laughs> no you don't have to. Um, I'm going to predict, though. Obviously, 12 months, reference to Harry's impending um, nuptials, since these titles are always double entendres, though. I'm betting there's going to be some potential apocalypse that he has a one-year deadline to stop as well. Um, as for Mirror Mirror, 
we've obviously had a dark Bob separate from good Bob, and we've seen them throw down kind of thing, situation, scenario. Why not a story where Dark Harry finally manifests and roams at large and only good Harry can stop him? We've seen Dark Harry. He's a character. So, I, th I think this has got some potential. It would also give Butcher a lot of room, you know, to continue making Harry's life an inconvenient mess when an imposter starts wreaking havoc all over the world with his name and face. Butcher loves to make his main character's life difficult, and I think that would give him all the ammunition he needs to do it for eight more books. So, um, yeah, I think that'd be good. Um, and I also feel like things were left on a pretty clear velocity re uh, Ebenezer McCoy at the end of Battleground. I think he's obviously going to have some almost but not quite too late redemption where he turns on the White Council and either becomes fugitive himself, fugitive, fugitive himself to protect Harry, or he hunts Harry down but then turns at the last moment and buys Harry time to save the world again. Butcher seems to write McCoy with too much respect in his descriptions and everything to end that character, who's obviously going to die. I mean, hello, old mentor, right? But he's not going to die as a bigoted asshole. It just, he seems to be written with too much care. So I think there will be redemption. McCoy's going to turn on the White Council to save Harry. Okay. And that'll probably okay. I think it'll happen in one of those two books, because it's like gearing up to happen. So, Okay, cool. those are Jeff's questions. Uh, what else we got? Seraph. Seraphim asked in also in Discord to list three things we enjoyed most about the series overall. You know, characters, moments, world building, anything really. Uh, anything you just want to throw forward before I just, you know, riff? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the shortcut for me would just be to say my three things are Michael Carpenter, Molly Carpenter, and Charity Carpenter. But <laughs> I, I will wrap the Carpenters up into one thing. They're probably the best part of this series. Um, Nicodemus? I, yeah, I, I think the the Knights of the Black and Daenerys are are a great idea for for antagonists. The Outsiders. Um, I love uh, love the Outsiders. Uh, oh yeah, the Outsiders are good. I mean, I I liked the you know the visual of the war outside the walls. Um, but no, my my third favorite. I'm just gonna say like. Good on Jim Butcher for doing a heist story in the middle of all this. <laughs> heist stories are fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And good on him for remaining proper, uh, appropriately self-aware. You know, it, you need to make a few Oceans jokes. You have to do it. And he stuck to yep. it. Good. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Um, Harry's one-liners have been something I'm always, uh, I'm always glowing about. Butcher's got this excellent sense of a funny line in the right moment. Um... Butcher's got ob clearly. I, I drew obviously. Drew won't even deny that Butcher's got this excellent sense of spectacle. Every yeah. book has multiple moments that would be jaw dropping in a big screen format. If you're, especially like me, if you're a very <laughs> spectacle oriented reader like like I am, there's so much awesome to be had. Just, just don't watch the TV show. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't. I. Oh my god, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I watched two episodes uh, before I had to, to stop. It was painful. Mm. I've also learned a lot. Another thing I liked about this series is how much it taught me about mythology. I'm not, and I'm certain I'm not alone in the oh. fandom here. Oh, there are, nice. Before starting the series, I'd never heard the name Nicodemus, for example. You had to tell me who that was, Drew. In, uh, oh. I believe that would have been in, in Death Masks. Yeah, I'd never yeah. heard about three quarters of the monsters in the mythology. and the, Even the last the last couple books, Ethnew. Irish Titans, well, not Titans, but pseudo-Titans. Yeah, it's yeah. neat to find a writer who can still be so flexible with his interpretations of so many mythological sources and still consistently make it enjoyable. Because, you think about it, he still has to be 
well, I just said flexible because he's he's drawing from so many different sources of mythology and he still manages to present it generally more or less in the same length and there are still many predictable moments but I, for me myself every one of them has been an, an enjoyable manifestation of that mythology and so mm-hmm. I liked it oh no yeah vampires yeah, I, I said I, I was yeah, never mind. Oh. vampires I hate go ahead <laughs> I was gonna say I was fortunate enough to take a uh, not just a Western mythology class in college, but a Western mythology class that was extremely rigorous. Uh, shout out to Dr. William Marvin at Colorado State University. Dr. Guy Marvin? is like one of the smartest people I've ever met. Like uh, his, I, I took the Western myth class with him, and I took a, a class on um, Mallory, Arthurian myth, with him. Uh, two of the most difficult classes I have ever taken. I have, I ever took. I don't in, intend to take more <laughs> classes ever uh, in college. But um, yeah, already graduated. <laughs> put put that in the past. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it, like you learned so much from the guy. But it like it really pushed you because he's he's one of these like true eccentric geniuses where. He thinks what he's teaching is straightforward and easy, but he thinks in a fundamentally different way than most people do. So until you get used to that, it's really hard to wrap your head around. Uh, But he had us read a lot of really cool stuff in that Western myth class. So I I was fortunate uh, that most of the mythological references in the series were uh, things I encountered or were related to things I had already encountered. So it was like one name would kind of tip me off and they're like, oh, I need to go look this up, you know. Uh, but but yeah, uh, I thought Butcher did a, a, a pretty good job of drawing in a bunch of different mythologies. I, and I can say it was perfect. There are still some things that, that I'm like, I, I think that was a mistake. Like, I, I don't think he should have brought in Cthulhu. That, that totally wrecks <laughs> yeah. the stakes. Um, but... But yeah, don't yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree with that. I actually very much agree with that. Um, okay, so Discord LS asks, and I'm not sure if she has another name in other Discord. I'm oh, Lady it. Sweden. Lady Sweden. Yes, uh, she's uh, a patron, she's I believe. Uh, okay, Emily. Got you. Yeah. I apologize, Lady yeah. Sweden. Nice to know your name now. Um, asked us to list our top five and bottom five Dresden books. This is one I was looking forward to. All right. Okay. Should we go start with top five or start with bottom five? Let's let's start with bottom five actually. All right. What was number five for you? Um, at at the so very number bottom. number thirteen. Number thirteen. The worst. No, no. Oh, so sorry, thirteen. The fifth okay. worst. Battleground. Yeah. This okay. Book. This book was the, was it? Yes. Even though I had so much that I loved, this book was it. Yeah. Number my fifth worst. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, number thirteen for me is Stormfront. Yeah. Uh, I. Fair. Honestly, I think the book is better than its reputation uh, would imply. Uh, I think the Dresden fandom is too hard on this book, but it, it is it is the first book. You know, uh, it is very clearly raw, um, written by an author who, yeah, was still learning uh, at a pretty basic level. So, I think it, it falls in in that bottom mm. bottom third of the series. I agree. I agree. Um, okay. <clears throat> my number, number 14. fourteen book, White Knight. 
Really? Yeah, it was really cool near the end. A lot of spectacle near the end that I love seeing. You know, it's Harry cutting loose, you know. But I remember being so jaded on White Court and vampires and vampire politics at that point in general already. You know, it was just like, hmm. man, I'm just, I, I just, I'm, I'm so burned out on vampires in all ways, everywhere. And so White Court for me was a lot of, a lot of fun, but that's a book. Too much Thomas, too much White Court. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, number 14 for me was Battleground. Gotcha. Yep. Good. Uh, for for all the reasons I brought up earlier in this episode. Perfect number. <laughs> number fifteen for me was Stormfront. For a lot of the same oh. reasons you just mentioned. So. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, number fifteen for me is Blood Rights. Uh, if, Not if surprised. You haven't listened to our Blood Rights episode? Uh, go back and and get the the full deets on why I didn't like that book. Um, but uh, mostly, I think it was just full of a lot of the most problematic elements of uh the dresden files uh it just it was not a book for me not a book for me Mm. my number 16 book is peace talks which is the 16th book really i am okay i know a lot of people who just finished hearing me in the last episode saying how much i loved it or at least Especially those who were at Discord who heard me say as I was reading it, you know, and got to the ethnic scene. It's like, oh my god, this is the best Dresden book yet. Oh my god. Um, yeah, I, I, I do want to remind people that it's, it's like changes, you know, distance and perspective are important. I've since learned about the incredible delay in the publishing of that one, the, the politics around it, how incomplete it was. Talking to Drew really did a lot for it. You know, learning about <laughs> that book, ha- stepping out of it and looking at it from the outside... Now, despite the fact that it had probably two of my favorite five scenes in the entire series, Peace Talks overall as, like, the, the shortest or one of the shortest, everything around it, you're right. You guys are all entirely right. It was not a complete book, and I can look at it objectively and say, think I uh, was just a little too close to that one. Sure. So, Peace Talks. Uh, number 16 for me is Fool Moon. Okay. Uh, I, I think it, it was... Again, early career, um, but but even more so than Stormfront. I think the book was a little bit of a mess. Uh, the The plot was not as interesting or as satisfying as Stormfront. Uh, can't stand Susan. Uh, you know, yeah. yeah. Full Moon was if if we weren't covering this on the podcast, I certainly would not have finished reading that book. And that would have been the end of my reading the Dresden Files. I would have probably stopped in at the end of uh, Proven Guilty. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's that elevator scene, man. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyway, um, my least favorite is Grave Peril. Huh. This whole evil sorcerer ghost fighting Harry's ghost but not ghost thing at the end. Yeah, killed the whole book. Was a bullet in the head of that book for me. I still don't understand the decisions made there. Yeah, I remember having some problems with the mechanics of of the end of that, where somehow Harry didn't die, but his ghost was still there yeah. to like save the day. Yeah, and yeah, that, but that it didn't. Some... And then and then it like directly contradicts the lore of what happens in Ghost Story. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it also had some of the spookiest moments in the series. So that was really cool. But yeah, Grave Peril was just... That ending killed it for me. So I think Grave Peril will be at the bottom of my list. 
So now okay. let's talk about a little more well, optimism. Uh, uh, I have I have oh my, my worst book. I thought I was last on that. Sorry, man. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, but number seventeen to the surprise of probably nobody is Peace Talks. Uh, that book was just a flaming disaster. <laughs> a flaming uh, disaster. So I don't call it that, but it was not yeah. good. Yeah, that was that. That book was a like I would give that maybe a two or a two point five out of ten. Like it was, it was not good. Got to give it like a five. So. But yeah, okay. Um, all right, all right. So number five, optimism. Fifth favorite, ghost story. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I, and I don't really remember why. I just remember being blown away during the time and thinking, why is this one pumping me up so much when Harry is dead? You know, I think on account of expanding the world and everything, the world building, the flavor of things that have were to come, everything it was setting up, that would be it. Hmm. Yeah. I I almost had that as my number five. I, I kind of flipped a coin, uh, but my number five is Turncoat. Ah. We're yeah. very, very similar on these uh, on these lists here, because Turncoat is my number four. Ooh, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought Turncoat was a really strong book until the end, where like it was a little telegraphed um, with uh, with Peabody. Um, oh yeah, I forgot about Peabody. But, oh no, uh, that's right. But overall, it was it was a really strong book. Um, just well structured. Uh, he he stuck to the plot in a satisfying way. Uh, he had good good character development for Morgan. Uh, that was a good twist. You know, having this series-long antagonist suddenly be somebody you're kind of rooting for but but you still don't like him and and then ultimately he has this kind of satisfying satisfying end um yeah 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 turncoat was my four you know with, okay uh, uh my number four is small favor ah really yeah uh again you know knights of the black and denarius lots of carpenter action that that's pretty much the the recipe for um, uh, a Dresden book that I'm going to like. Mm. My third favorite. This is going to fly in the face of something I just said two, three minutes ago. Uh, Proven Guilty. Ooh, just that's finished. my third favorite as well. Yeah, dude, we're fucking vibing right now. We're on the same frequency. Hey. Listen, <laughs> I just finished saying that I would have quit probably after Proven Guilty if not for this podcast. But again, it was just solely due to that 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 elevator scene. I was just like, oh, I was still at that point invested a huge part in the in the Dresden Files with Karen and Harry, and that really killed it for me because I thought the time was so right. So, but this the whole end of Proving Guilty with Molly Carpenter climbing those stairs in her heavy armor. She's just laboring and she's like, I'm coming, Charity. Baby, I'm you coming. Mean? You know, she could hear Molly's script. That that was ah, yeah. so good, so good. So that's why Proving Guilty is my third favorite. Yeah, I still think. Probably the best written scene in the entire series is in Proven Guilty, and that was Harry's soul gaze with Molly. But yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, Proven Guilty was a really good book. Uh, and we never got more Mo- or more more Charity. I've been saying it this whole time. Where the, how, <laughs> just, I thought Charity was going to come into the picture at that point. Nope, mm-hmm. no more. Back to the um, ring. So yeah, like th- this is this is around the point where I'm I'm like. These are legitimately well-written, good books. Uh, where where I'm rating rating these like three point five to four stars. You know, uh, yeah. everything from small favor up, basically. Sweet. Um, so, what's your second favorite? My second favorite, and this is it was a toss-up between these two because I kind of like them equally. But skin game. 
That is also my second favorite. Dude. I, oh my god. We did not communicate about these choices. In fact, you no, probably we didn't. made these choices as I, we were going live, right? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I had to kind of whip out my list just in the probably five minutes before we started recording because um, I couldn't find the list of you know questions and, and uh, discussion topics from Discord. So, <laughs> dude, yeah, if we have the same favorite, very favorite, I'm gonna laugh my ass off. But first, skin game. Wait, Let's talk y- why we love okay, skin game. Yeah. The heist story is awesome. Yeah. Uh, again, if there's a challenge for best written scene in the series other than Molly's soul gaze, it's the scene uh, outside of the Carpenter's gate when uh, when Nicodemus defeats Harry and and uh, Murphy and yeah, you know, we get you know just the whole sequence. You know, Uriel granting his grace to Michael to step up and save them. You know, they're just Awesome, awesome yeah, stuff. You know, Plus the heist. Just, damn, I think you Knights of the Black and Denarius. Game is my favorite. Ah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll yeah. still keep my other one as a favorite. But yeah, yeah. It, you're right, and for all those exact reasons. And the entire con- confrontation in Hades, Nicodemus having to fight the Salamander, the whole Goodman thing with the Gray, Genosqua, Binder. Good, Goodman Gray, yeah. Uh, all of it coming together in that book. And and, every, and then Hades himself having a plan, you know, and just, oh, it mm-hmm. was, it was yeah. magnificent. That was stuff. a good book. Okay, all right, so... so Let's say our favorite at the same time. I'll count us down. I'll count us down from three. We're just going to say it at the same time. Okay? Okay. Three, two, one. Cold, cold days. days. Bruh. <laughs> We're there. I'm surprised changes didn't make your no, top five. No, changes. Let me explain. Okay? All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, like I said, the, I'm sure people are going to wonder why I didn't include changes on this list. After loving it so much during our episodes, I think I gave it like a 9.2 out of 10. The honest truth is it's been a few weeks. And I've had more distance in perspective. I just the truth the truth is I just I looked at this this list of five, ghost story, turncoat, proven guilty, skin game, and my favorite cold days, and I couldn't bump <laughs> any of those out. I had changes in my hand, and I'm I'm trying. I spent half an hour looking at that list trying to fit it in, and I couldn't do it. And then I realized after half an hour, oh, I didn't like that book as much as I thought I did. So I think it goes to show, you know, immediate knee jerk reactions are not always correct. It's still a great book, in my opinion. I would still call that one a great book, but I think these five are even stronger. So, so you had Ghost Story five. What would you have number four? Turncoat. Okay, so four of the five were the same for us. Yeah. And one through three were in the same ranks as yeah. well. Yeah. We just. Sw- <laughs> That's really funny. That's really funny. I was not funny. expecting that. I was not expecting. No, that. I wasn't. Yeah, I, I, I just assumed changes was going to be your number one. So no. I was like. Yeah, yeah, that's no, great. I, I know that's people great. were probably expecting me to say "Changes" is my favorite, which probably really confused everybody two or three minutes ago when I said, "Dude, if we have this favorite, the same favorite, I'm going to laugh," <laughs> because everyone at that point is probably going, "No, Drew hates changes." Guess what? I didn't hate it, but those other five: Ghost Story, Turncoat, Proven Guilty, Skin Game, and Cold Days. Those are all stronger. And as far as Cold Days goes, it's just Darth Harry. I mean, it's not really Darth Harry. You, but you know what you get? Like, I just it was awesome. And the end it was it, it was not a perfect book, but it was a very good book. Oh, it had so many epic scenes, and it. it had Molly turning into the damn Winter Lady at the end. It's just oh, yep, just it was it was awesome. A lot of butters in there. Big fan of butters. So uh huh, yeah, pretty cool stuff. Okay, <laughs> those are our favorite books and our least favorite. Yes, books in this yes series. indeed. Second last question. These are these are actually uh, like 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 uh sorry. 
Um, these are both from Lady Sweden and Eridandis here. Mm-hmm. From Stormfront to Battleground, how has Butcher improved as a writer? What are his strengths? And what do we think his areas for improvement are? And we've kind of spent like 18 episodes talking about that, so let's just <laughs> sum it up. In fact, I'll yeah. just let you do it, because you're so, far better than I am. Go ahead. Well, I want to hear your thoughts on this, too. But, yeah, my thoughts uh, suck, though. The, the biggest improvement as a writer is just in his sentence-level prose. Uh, it's not perfect. It's not outstanding. He's not, like, some unbelievable stylist. But seeing the the, the raw word choice uh, in... in especially Stormfront and Full Moon and even Grave Peril a little bit, all the way through to the end with some of the descriptions of, you know, you know, like you read with Ethniu using her eye, uh, the eye of Balor on the buildings, or or Mab standing up to her and, and you know, this, this blue glow of the distance. That, like, those descriptions are just, were not possible for Jim Butcher circa, whatever, 2000, when he wrote... Uh, 1999 2000 when he right. wrote Stormfront like uh he he took huge strides in in just the efficiency and uh and beauty of his sentences um like i said again not the best i've ever read by any stretch of the imagination this is not a this is not a gene wolf or a kaya shante wilson or you know <laughs> Gotcha. Not not on that level, but but he improved greatly um, over the course of these seventeen books. The other thing that I think he improved on a lot was characterization, giving depth and agency to side characters. Um, I think he really struggled with this early on with a lot of the female characters in specific, uh, Murphy and. Uh, Charity, Susan to an extent, um, but Murphy's the biggest example of this, where where she, for for several books in the series, was basically just um, a kind of a symbol for Harry to like bounce off of, uh, and then as the series went on, she became more of herself and got to do things for herself and not just because she's doing them for Harry. Uh, things like that. Uh, the the introduction of the Carpenters was big, big, big. Um, cannot stress that enough. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he also realized the mm, ickiness of some things in the series early sure. on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it probably took him too long to, to start dialing back on on that kind of stuff but at least we got a couple of books at the end here where he managed to not use the words training bra um uh you know things like that so i i mean in general there's no doubt jim butcher tremendously improved as a writer over 17 books but like you know Let's be honest, it would be tough not to learn some lessons and, and figure some stuff out if you write 17 freaking books. Like, that's a, that's a lot of words. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of experience. That is, I mean, that in you know, itself, if, yeah. if we're saying the average word count on one of these books is like maybe 110, 120,000, like, we're looking at nearly 2 million words. 
over two million, I'm sure, if you count everything he's written with, uh, you know, the short stories and novellas and yeah, I don't know. I'm, I I don't know what the actual math there is. I'm sure what is we'll, that seven, yeah. seventeen times one twenty. Uh, so what was that one twenty times seven? Times yeah, 40. yeah, over two million. So it's over two million. Okay. Little, little bit over two million. Um, that's a lot of dang words. <laughs> uh, that's that's more words of fiction than I've written in my life. Uh, oh yeah, by a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of that's more published words than either of us have written. Probably, probably combined. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean. <laughs> no, I mean like so, pu- more published than we've ever just written to page. Ever. Yeah, but. Uh, hmm. Yes, probably for me. I, I think I've written a little over 1.1 million words uh, just in, like, wow. total fiction. Um, I I mean, most of those are in the the three... The th- well, <laughs> I had one book that was, like, 290,000 words, and it was super boring and dull, and, and it just didn't work. Um, but, but, yeah. I uh, I think I'm, I would be surprised if I was past 70,000 75 lifetime so hmm. I'm down there I'm down hmm. there um, yeah, <laughs> as, as far as Butcher as a writer how he's, how he's improved I don't think I have been paying close enough attention nor do I think my memory is great enough to really be able to compare his current writing with that that I read a year ago you know, or more actually since we recorded the episodes actually far in advance back then um, what are his strengths as a writer, I do really very much enjoy his humor. He's got a very, very, very uh, irreverent and smart-mouthed ma- antagonist that's going to really land for a lot of people. Protagonist. Sorry. And, oh, my God. Sorry. Protagonist. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, he's got... He's got he's, like, he's fearless in a lot of ways. I have to pay, tip my... I have to pay respect to the balls that it takes to consistently reach out to bigger and bigger and more intimidating sources of mythology and to still bring them into your into your world and find an appropriate place for them that doesn't seem to edge all of the others out. He's very good at balancing and bringing all of these various sources, this huge... what This is wide array of sources of mythology into one cohesive world where, where they all can kind of have their appropriate spotlight. He, he balances everything very well. Butcher has been somebody I've been laughing the entire time as much as I've been like cheering the entire time, but I've also been given reasons to bitch the entire time. So I will have to tell <laughs> that to people when I recommend it as well. There may be some things that irritate you, and if there is anything that irritates you, it's probably going to irritate you for the whole series. So, as yeah. far as his areas for improvement, dude, more editor. Get an editor, better editor, more editors, more beta readers. Just do something about this editing process. Yeah. Yeah, these last two books were just really sloppy in a way that, yeah. like, the previous, especially, like, previous, like, three or four before it just weren't. You know, like, the, like, Cold Gaze, Skin Game, Ghost Story just all felt really tight and and that just wasn't at all the case with peace talks and battlegrounds so would you say perhaps that was your favorite sequential trio of books perhaps because that's our last question from kipton kiptan kipton i'm sorry i don't have any idea how to pronounce their names yeah probably kiptan yeah kiptan my man yeah probably uh, also, big shout out to Kiptan for helping us set up our Discord. Oh, 100%. Uh, I'll be talking many, to Kiptan many soon 
for uh, a green team discussion yeah. for uh, the Martian. I believe he's going to be on there. Nice, nice. I think he's yeah. going to be on there. I don't want to speak for him actually. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess that would be Ghost Story. Um, Cold Days skin game would be the best. That's it. That was my exact three. Ghost Story, Cold Days skin game. We're vibing. Followed closely by Small Favor, Turncoat changes. I will say those three were still also because of Small Favor and Turncoat, especially because I also very much appreciated changes. Those would probably be the second, you know, trio. But yeah, okay. Okay. Now, are we ready for the final draft? I think we're ready for the final draft. Holy crap. That was faster still than I thought it would be. Okay. I, I mean, I've not been drinking anything particularly special. It's just, you know, past, it's just, just a few days after Christmas. Like I said, it's December the 28th, five minutes from midnight, actually. Um, I've been letting loose a little bit over these holidays. Uh, I've been having a few more carbs and a little more sugar. You know, it's fun. Good times. And I've had over the course <laughs> of this episode, as my bladder is rapidly informing me, um, two Molson Canadian drafts. Not drafts, Ooh. just two Molson Canadian. So, yeah. Standard, box nice, standard nice. beer, but comes with the Canadian seal of approval. Never disappoints. Okay. Well, I am drinking a New England style India Pale Ale. Mm. Uh, it's seven point four percent from Barrier Brewing Company in Oceanside, New York. Uh, I've had this in the fridge for a long time, waiting for the right right moment. Um, and and I realized this book is the right moment. Uh, ah. This one goes out to. Rob's perhaps not favorite character. Uh-oh. Uh, Johnny Marconi. No longer and, favorite. And his and his new buddy, Thorned Namshiel. Oh, this yeah. is called Deadly Combination. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with that. Nice. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, Marconi yeah. was my favorite until 99.4% of the way through the series. And that, now I think <laughs> Butters has taken that cake. But Charity's still up there. And Mab! Oh, Mab is awesome. So, yes. Okay. All right. Well. All right. So, this has been episode 152 of yes. the Thinking Out Loud podcast. Next up, we are going to be uh, doing a fun episode with uh, Danny uh, Felcandy, our yes. wonderful artist. Uh, she's going to be helping us cover Dark Lord of Dirkholm by Diana Wynn Jones. Uh, definitely looking forward to a little palate cleanser with that one. Um, I've heard this book is just a, a bunch of fun, so I'm excited about it. Hope hope our audience is as well, and I hope you read along. Uh, as always, if you want to support the show, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, get access to all kinds of perks like early episodes, um, monthly short episodes uh the last two months in fact we did um a bunch of dresden short stories we covered what was it so the first one was the warrior last call and aftermath and then this most recent one we talked about bombshells and cold case um you know we also you can get access to our monthly newsletter original fiction written by rob or myself uh in fact probably in the next like three days here um before the new year is my goal to celebrate hitting a hundred thousand all-time downloads on inking out loud uh we uh, we i am gonna try to release half of all flames cast 
yes. uh, the most recent fantasy novel that I wrote. Do it. Probably gonna be twenty-two or twenty-three chapters of it, Do uh, it. depending on how much I can get through uh, revisions on this current draft. So, uh, you know, definitely check that out. In fact, I may make that just free on Patreon uh, for anybody to read. It'll be unlocked. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> this, been a lot of fun. this has been a, a long time coming a Dresden's long a time lot of coming fun. i love yeah. I, I, I will say i love the series I, I love it the seems series. appropriate that we're finishing our last dresden episode on december 28th last recorded episode for the for 2021 yeah so. and it's 11 59 for me right now last minute of the day <laughs> yeah yeah so all right endings i have been your host drew mccaffrey And as always, my co-host Rob Santos can still fight a wolf. (laughs) Still do it. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.